morning. Pastor Eric spent part of the week last week uh, hunting, so he uh, he gave me the privilege of speaking before you this morning. And I asked, uh, actually, if I could have the next uh, Sunday as well. Uh, so you get to hear me for two weeks. Eric gets a, another break, but uh, it was my request, and he graciously allowed me to do this. So it's not something I do a whole lot of, but uh, there's something, uh, just a topic that I've been sort of studying, praying about, contemplating for the last six or seven months, and I wanted to uh, to bring it before you. So I wanted to challenge you, but I wanted to lay the groundwork for it this week as we look at it next week. I'd like to begin this morning by all of us uh, reading a psalm together. So if you would join me reading the 100th psalm. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Let's pray. God, thank you for your faithfulness. You have been faithful to each person sitting in this room. And your faithfulness will continue through all generations. And we acknowledge this morning that you are a God of of an overwhelming generosity. That you are a God who gives and gives. You are a God who gives good gifts. And we recognize that we, as the sheep of your pasture, are the recipients of what you have given. Help us this morning to catch a glimpse, maybe a fresh, of what you have given us, God. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen. In the handout in your communicator is a definition of generosity. It means a readiness, a liberality in giving. It's freedom from meanness or smallness of mind or character. It's ready to give, giving, given freely, plentiful, and ample. And it is clear from the scriptures that we worship an incredibly generous God. And we as his people, we as the sheep of his pasture, we experience his generosity in a variety of ways. The first way that we, we experience God's generosity is in that he has given us life. We live in a culture that is materialistic. And I don't mean merely that this, our culture has given its heart to stuff. But we live in a culture that only that which can be measured or weighed, that which can be seen or held or touched. That's what's real, and that's all there is. That our world and those that are contained within it can be explained solely in terms of physical processes. And if we are not careful, we can be influenced and our worldview can be informed by our culture and not by the scriptures. And if we miss what the scripture says, we miss the incredible generosity of our God as he gives us life. 
Isaiah 42, 5 says this. This is what the Lord, the God, God, the Lord says. He who created the heavens, who stretched them out, who spreads out the earth and all that spring from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk upon it. If I read the scriptures correctly, every breath that I take, every beat of my heart, every morning in which I wake up, it's because of God's active and creative work in my life. It is in him we live and move and have our being. One of the questions that we ask in seminary that we would throw around on days when uh, uh, we would sit in the cafeteria and talk, we ask the question, why is there something rather than nothing? Why did God create? Why did God choose to speak the world, speak all of creation into existence? And in our Sunday school classes, we might have learned that God was lonely or God needed someone to love. But God is complete within himself. One of the wonders of the whole doctrine of the Trinity in that all the relational needs that God had, that God has is contained within the three persons of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Spirit. So God did not, because of something lacking within himself, choose to create, create us as well as the rest of the creation. But he did so as an act of generosity. He created us in his image so that we could be allowed to share in his creation. God was generous in that he gave us life. It is he who gives breath to his people and life to all who walk upon it. But God also demonstrates his generosity in not only that he gives us life, but he gives us our life. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 7 says, What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as as though you did not? He gives us the particular lives that we, we have. He's generous in our individual lives. And I think he's generous in our individual lives in two areas. First is the natural natural abilities that we have. Psalm 139, verses 13 through 16 says this. For you, the psalmist is speaking to God, created my innermost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I will praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, and I know them full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. You saw my eye, your eyes saw my unformed body, and all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. The psalmist takes the poetic language and describes what was going on in his mother's womb. That God was working and active as he put David the psalmist together. We are not the result of time plus chance. We are the result of God's work in us as individuals. And I actually marvel at the incredible wealth of talents and abilities that I see sitting in this room before me this morning. There are some really smart people in this room. There are people that I'll be in conversation with and I will realize they're a whole lot smarter than I am. 
that they can take uh, take various topics or, or points and reason them together into a coherent whole that I would never have gotten to that point. I can remember a number of years ago when we, we had some questions about how to deal with the, this building. We were It was much smaller than it is now. We were uh, overrun with children like we are now. And the... the uh, Senior pastor Paul Holmes and I, we were the only ones on staff at that particular juncture. We came up with a plan to deal with the Sunday, with our Sunday school program. And we presented it to a woman in the church who was, who was intimately involved in the, uh, in the, the, the Christian education of our children. And she goes, that's not going to work. But here's something that will. And Pastor Paul and I looked at each other and go, why in the world did we never think of this? Because this is the solution to the problem that we have. There's an incredibly, incredible intelligence in the people sitting in this room. Uh, There's an incredible, vast array of physical abilities. And I understand this and I appreciate it more and more as I get older. I can no longer do what I did when I was 40 years old. But there are men and women sitting in this that are strong, that are fast, that are persistent. There are people that run marathons sitting in this room. You are incredibly and wonderfully made. Every Sunday I get to serve with a a great group of people on this platform, vocalists and musicians. And I understand that training and education, apprenticeship, and just plain work Plain hard work have a bearing upon who we are today. But the skills, skills that we have acquired through the years through blood, sweat, and tears. But those in and of themselves are insufficient to make us the people that we are. And there, there is an incredible array of practical and vocational skills in this congregation as well. And I got to experience that uh, a couple of three years ago in a way that totally amazed me. Um, We had a microwave. We have a built-in microwave at home. And uh, one of the springs broke on the door. And the door is fairly heavy. And uh, when we would have um, house sitters come, because someone has to take care of our dogs, we'd always have to put a note on the microwave, watch out the door is heavy, because with the one spring broken, the door would want to fall down fairly significantly. So after about five years, my wife said, do you think you could fix that door? (laughs) And so uh, being the, the frugal, practical person that I am, I said, sure, I can fix the door. So I went online and I found out what was wrong with it, saw what was broken, I ordered the parts. But I looked at my microwave and I go, I'm really not exactly sure how to fix this, but I'm going to try. So there were a number of screws I had to take off. So I got to the last screw and the front of the microwave fell off onto the floor. So now it's, and it cracked the glass, shattered the glass. So I'm immediately mad at my wife. Uh, (laughs) But I go, and, and the, the, the upshot, I mean, the upside was is that it broke 10 pounds of glass so the door no longer slammed down. So I go, we're good to go. I don't have to fix the spring. <laughs> so I ask, I ask a man to come help me fix it. I ordered the glass. And, and he came in and looked at this microwave. He says, okay, we've got to take this apart. And I go, you're taking the whole control panel off. 
He had every connection taken off, had the control panel laying up on top of the microwave. And I go, in a million years, this is never going back together. And an hour later, my microwave worked. It was amazing to me the skills and the abilities that God had given this man that had been honed through years of practice, through years of hard work, that he was able to take what I had broken and broken significantly and put back together. You are an incredible group of people. And your hard work, your blood, sweat, and tears are insufficient to account for the abilities that you have. God has been at work in your lives in our lives, from the very beginning. He has been generous to us as individuals. What do we have, the Apostle Paul says, that we did not receive? And he has not only been gracious and generous to us as individuals, but he's been gracious and generous to us as individuals within the church. He has given us spiritual abilities to serve within his church. The Apostle Paul again says in 1 Corinthians, Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. When we come to faith in Christ, when we cross over the line and put our trust in Him, the Holy Spirit comes to live within us. He regenerates us. He makes us born again. And he, in his indwelling power and presence, he gives us spiritual abilities as sons and daughters of the living God to serve within the church. And I'm actually in a position to know where a lot of you serve. I know it's not exhaustive. I don't know everything that's done that individuals do within this church. But I know the gifts that God has given some of you. And I know how faithfully and how powerfully you serve be it the elder or the deacon board, to Sunday school, both children and adult Sunday school, in youth ministry, ushers and greeters. I see the incredible generosity of God to me as a shepherd of this church and also to us as a whole. God gives these abilities so that we can serve one another. And I have seen men and women move beyond, far beyond what they were comfortable in doing but by faith, taking a step and serving. I can tell you that I stand before you this morning, not because I went to seminary, not because I'm smart, not because I'm a great speaker. I stand before you this morning because of the gracious and generous work of God within my life. I didn't get saved until I was 19 years old when Renee and I I were married close to that time. We'd go to Bible studies together, and I would stand off into the corner. I'd usually find something to read, and I wouldn't be engaged. I really didn't care that terrible much for people. I was a very much an, uh, an introvert. But after for 40 years or 20 years, God continued to work in my life and show me how he had gifted me. And I am the shepherd I am today, not because I am so smart or I've got so many abilities. It's because of God's work within me. God has been generous to me to give me the ministry that he has given me to be one of your shepherds. So when I stand here, when I sing, when I play, when I speak, I want you to know that it's because of God's generosity and work within us. God has also been generous 
with our stuff. And in your, uh, in your handout, there is a correction. I put Deuteronomy 8, 8. It's actually 8, 18. And uh, I'm actually going to start in 17, where it says, You may say to yourself, My power and my strength and the strength of my hands has produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for he is the one who gives you the ability to produce wealth. If this is true, if God is the one that has given us this ability to produce wealth, then everything that we have, we are not, we do not hold the title to it. We are stewards of it. It is because of God's generosity and his work within us that we have what we have. And we should learn to hold it loosely. We should guard our hearts that it doesn't capture us. So that we we consider that our life consists in the abundance of our possessions. If we don't hold, hold title to it, then we are managers of what God has given to us. God's generosity has given us the ability to make wealth. God's generosity has given us the ability to possess what we possess. But understand this, that we are stewards of it. And there will be a day coming where we will give an account of the stewardship that we have. How did we use the stuff God has given us to honor and to glorify him. And, and I will tell you that I, mean, I am part of the financial stewardship team here at Bethel. And one of our goals, one of our charges is to challenge you when it comes to the stewardship of your money. And I've been thinking a lot about this lately. And next week we're going to talk about giving. I'll, I'll give you a preview of that. But when I understand that I am a steward, that I am a manager and not a title holder of what, God, of what I have, it puts it on a whole different perspective. It causes me to ask the question, then how do I use this to the honor and the glory of God? God has been incredibly generous to us. How can we be generous in return? But the ultimate expression of God's generosity is not our life. It's not our lives as individuals or our life within the church. It is not found in our stuff. That is not the ultimate expression of God's generosity. We will remember this morning as a body of Christ, God's ultimate expression and demonstration of his generosity. As we celebrate, as we partake, as we eat together and drink together in the Lord's table. For God has been generous in that he gives us eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. This is probably one of the most memorized verses in the entire Bible. How many of you have ever seen a football? Do they? I don't get. Uh, I don't get sports on television. Do they still hang John three sixteen banners from? I know there was this huge controversy a number of years ago about people doing. It. They still at football games. They still hang those banners. John three. Are you? Hello, is anyone there? 
<laughs> do they still do that? Uh, they do. Okay. And the reason they can hang up John 3.16, it's probably the most memorable and recognized verse in the entire scriptures. It is a summary of the gospel. It is a summary of the good news. And I'd like to take the rest of the time I have this morning to sort of unpack that verse. How many of you have the red letter, your Bible, the words of Jesus in red? There is a, there is a lot of scholarly discussion whether or not these are Jesus' words that, that the Apostle John uh, recorded or if they are the inspired commentary uh, by the Apostle John. But this morning, I'm going to assume that they're the words of Jesus. Um, Regardless of the result is really the same. And he's speaking with Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a a leader of the Pharisees, the biblical scholars of that time. And when Jesus uses the word God for God, he, he brings with it everything in the, that the Old Testament reveals about the God, about God, the Father. And it is captured in, the word, in these words. Is it, I'm sorry, is captured in the word God. He's referring to God's power, which is limitless. God's wisdom, which is deep and profound. Speaking of the God who knows everything, knows every hair on Nicodemus' head. It's the God who has demonstrated his righteousness time and time again. That there is nothing in him that is unfair. It's the God who has demonstrated and declared that he is holy. And that there is nothing in him that is tainted by sin or evil. The God of justice. The God of wrath who will bring his just punishment upon sin. And the God of mercy that will turn that wrath aside. And the God who has revealed himself as the compassionate one. When Jesus uses this word God in talking to Nicodemus, Nicodemus was fully aware of who he was referring to. And I can just imagine all of those attributes of God rushing into Nicodemus' mind. And then he says, for God so loved And he uses a word that conveys the idea of affection that is unconditional. This love that God has is not because of anything within us or within the world that is lovable. And in fact, it is quite the contrary. For he uses the word world. And he uses that word not just sort of generically so it describes anything and everything. He uses it calculatedly. For the word world, especially in the Gospel of John, but in the New Testament as a whole, refers to humanity which stands in opposition to God. He's not talking about creation of which we are a part. He's talking about humanity that stands in opposition to God. Those image bearers that have rebelled against him. God, the God of the Old Testament, full of righteousness and holiness, loves those who stand in opposition to them, in opposition to him. For the Bible tells us that within that word world, that each and every one of us has decided to turn our backs on God. We have decided that our ways are better than his ways. 
we've decided that it is our will, not his. The Apostle Paul, in the first three chapters of the book of Romans, sort of unpacks the bad news where he says at its conclusion in Romans 3, there's no one who is righteous, not even one. There is no one who understands. There is no one who seeks God. All have turned away, and no one does that which is good. So when Jesus uses the word the word world, that's who he's referring to. And these are the people that God loves. People like me and people like you. So what does God's love move him to do? God's love moves him to be generous. For God so loved rebellious humanity that he gave. He was generous. He took something that was precious and unique and his. And he gave. And he gave it this singularly unique and precious gift. This son he gave. And he gave not only the incarnate one sitting in front of Nicodemus. Who didn't, didn't uh, cling on to the fact that he was infinite God. But emptied himself. And became a man and put on human flesh. Jesus left glory to sit in front of Nicodemus. And not only did he do that, that in and of itself would have been mind boggling. But he gave himself also on a cross. And he suffered a punishment that he did not deserve. The wages of sin is what? The wages of sin is death. But Jesus was declared to be sinless, not only by himself, but by those who stood in opposition to him. He gave them full reign when he asked, which of you can accuse me of sin? And not one raised their voice and said he was a sinner. So he did not deserve the wages of sin. But he freely offered himself because of God's generosity who gave him as our place on the cross. He suffered the consequences of our sin in his death. God loved the unlovable and gave because he is generous, his son. And that gift, that generosity has consequences for us today. Has consequences for us sitting in this room today. For he says, Jesus continues to say say that, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only unique son. That whoever, anyone who believes in him, anyone who puts their trust in him, anyone who puts their hope in him, will have eternal life. They will not perish, 
And I believe in the context, if life is eternal, then perishing is eternal. The consequences of sin is eternal separation from God. That if they place their trust in him, the person and the work of Christ, they will have eternal life. Life as God intended it to be lived now and everlasting life in the future. Think of the generosity of God as he gave his son. I don't think I would ever give so precious a gift for you who I love, my church. But God's love extended far beyond mine, far beyond anything that we could ever imagine. And he gave his unique and one and only son. So what do you do with that this morning? What do you do with the generosity of God? Do you recognize the fact that his generosity has given you life, has given you the life and the abilities that you currently have, has gifted us within the church, has given us his stuff, the stuff that we manage? But God also has given us his son. My challenge to you this morning, if you don't know Jesus, if you have never placed your trust in him, today's a great day to do it. Today's a great day to acknowledge that you are part of the world that God loves, humanity that stands in opposition to him. And that if you place your trust, your hope, your faith, your belief in what Christ has done and who he is, that you will be given eternal life. That's the challenge if you're outside of that family. If you're with inside the family, recognize God's generosity that you are a steward and ask how you can manage what God has given you. Let's pray together. Father, I know that you have been generous to me because I know myself better than anyone here. I know what you have brought me from and made me the man that I am today. I marvel at your incredible generosity to me. I also marvel at the incredible generosity that you have exhibited to the people sitting in this room this morning. We want more than anything else to honor that generosity, God. You have lavished your grace upon us. And for that, we give you thanks. In Jesus' name, amen.